Kobe, thank you so much for making your inaugural appearance on the Hardwood Knox podcast. Uh, you will be forgiven for saying yes because you don't know how poor things are run around here. Uh, but I do appreciate you answering the cold call in uh, your DMs. The most important question I'll ask you on this podcast, though, how the hell are you doing? I am doing quite well. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, I'm excited. I'm stoked. Um, the Magic are... I'm fascinated by every team in the league, but they're a much more fascinating team now after uh, getting Paolo Bancaro for sure. And maybe they'll have like some better health with Jonathan Isaac. But I kind of wanted to start uh, by asking you that when you look back on their offseason, were there any like prevailing themes or decisions or inaction tied to this summer that that stick with you? Or are you maybe surprised that their summer wasn't more movement heavy aside from talent retention and then uh, the Paolo Bancaro pick, obviously. Yeah, from a general, so I wrote about this, their general ethos of their offseason to me was just, we're running it back. You know, we're going to add Paolo, we're going to add Caleb Houston, we're going to add, you know, you know, we're going to add a couple of different pieces, but we're running it back with the team that we had last year. And that was from what I was hearing, what I've been told, and even my own expectations. That's just what I expected them to do. Throughout the season, they made it clear they believed in the young guys. They believed in the path that they were on. They believed in Coach Mosley, Jamal Mosley. And they just, I think they wanted to give it a shot. You know, we talk about the health of this team and they were one of, I forget the website that keeps track of games missed because of injuries and health and safety protocols. The Magic were all the way at the top. Number one, I think right above the Clippers was number two or three somewhere. They were like 460, 480 something games. So I think they really just want to see what this team looks like and how these young guys grow, you know, get a full, a full for real offseason and you have the continuity with the coaching staff, with the players, add a couple pieces, get a little healthier, and then just roll from there. I don't want to – I actually, it did give me some comfort because we were talking about the Paolo pick uh, shortly before we recorded, and I don't necessarily want to rehash the decision to take him, but, like, what did you make of – that actual pick given all the reports that were flying around were you caught off guard at all and ultimately do you think that it was just the right way to go was to swing on the guy of the three players that were in uh debate so to speak like he clearly Paolo Bancaro has the highest just offensive self-creation upside of those three right yeah well to one answer uh, one of your questions yes I was I was surprised I will admit I was surprised that they took followed I think like a lot of people were um, just because for me, even my, in my own reporting, I was hearing that not just, I was hearing that Jabbar was the guy I was honestly from, uh, the day of the lottery to the draft, I was hearing mixed things, you know, one day it was Chet, one day it was Jabari. Then it seemed to be consistently Jabari for a long stretch of time. Um, even people close to the players or close to the situation, I would say, thought it was going to be Jabari. Um, and then, you know, the magic just surprised a lot of people and say, no, we're going to take Paulo. And I go, and I understood why. To me, there was no wrong way. If they choosing sticking with those guys, I don't think there was a quote-unquote wrong decision. Like sometimes you look at a team, you look at a roster, say like, no, this is going to be the right decision. Mm-hmm. For them, they had three good choices. I think what their choice is going to show was where they were at um, where their mindset was in terms of what they thought of their own team already in terms of their own needs and how they saw um, what were they were, what they were seeking, but also what they were seeing in terms of their own rebuild, like what steps they want to take, what they thought they needed to fill. And I guess what they, 
believe would help put them in the best position. And I wrote from, shoot, day one or however against the draft that Paulo, to me, he he has the best potential of being a go-to offensive option in this draft class. To me, that's what he was. So what I, I can see that. I would imagine that's why the Magic took him because he's a guy who, you know, we saw it in summer league. He can just operate in so many different ways, you know, in the post, as a ball handler, in transition, in the pinch posts, you know, he can play off the ball. He can play on ball. He just has so many, uh, you know, so many tools in his bag to, to use that phrase. Uh, he can just do so many different things. So I get it, especially when you see where the Magic were at offensively last year and how much they struggled. And then you look at their roster. I get why they say, hey, yes, we can see what Jabbar does in terms of shooting his defense. We can see the multifaceted parts of Chet, you know, being at that size and that length and everything he brings. But – you know, we, we we need a guy who we can say, hey, don't, it's not just about getting a bucket. Run our offense. Help put other guys in the best positions, too. Because to me, that's not just – the thing about Paulo isn't just about the scoring. Mm-hmm. It's that up here, he seems to already have it. All right, I'm setting this guy up. There was – we were I was on press row. And I won't forget this because it was my first time seeing Paulo live and in person. And maybe it's the second game. I forget which game. In in this moment, it hit me just how he could see the game. He was in the, I guess that's the left block because it was on my right side, uh, and he was backing someone down in the post. And maybe it was the second game against the Kings in summer league, and he's backing the dude down. And Caleb Houston, who was the Magic second round pick, is in the uh, in the weak side corner, just ready, lock and loaded. And Paulo could have made the pass right there, like the opening was there. But he kept going, like he kept going in, acting like he was going to go, uh, I guess maybe dunk, go take a layup, whatever. It was trying to get into the paint, and he, I, what he, I could see what he was doing is he was just trying to bait the, uh, I guess the low man, just bait the guy to just come in a little bit closer, a little bit closer, just to get inch a little bit closer to the paint. And as soon as that defender like took, I think he put it was been his right foot into the paint, passes right to Caleb. I don't remember if Caleb made the shot. To be honest, I really all I needed to know was like Paolo can he already sees that now. He knows how to move guys around to take advantage of certain situations. So now I was there, I was like, yep, that, that's 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 what you want from not just number one pick, but just a go-to guy in that sense. Do you think that they will give him that type of agency and carte blanche over the offense from from day one? Uh, I, I think he'll have a pretty clear runway. They already, the thing about the magic is they have a lot of ball handlers, just a lot, like a, a lot of young talent. I'm not sure if it's going to look like it would, if he was, well, I guess the other two teams, uh, Rockets and Thunder, they have some young ball handlers too, but like how it typically looks for maybe a number one pick, you know, where they just like, they're the focal point, almost, I guess like what, what was for Cade when he was in Detroit. Uh, or when he's in Detroit, uh, his work. He says, I don't know if it's going to look like that just because in Orlando, you know, you do have, you know, number five pick last year in Jalen Suggs. You have Cole Anthony. You have Markel Fultz. That's three guys. There's three guards who some of them maybe, yes, could play off the ball, but they've been shown to be better with the ball in their hands, operating with the ball in their hands. I didn't even mention Franz Wagner, who has <laughs> taken talking with him I don't know. I don't know what this is going to come out, but I spoke with him earlier today, and you guys can watch him during Eurobasket. It seems like he's ready to take a leap. And then you have Wendell Carter Jr., who's operates as a hub of offense. So it's going to be interesting to see how they balance all of that out with so many guys who could run an offense or can by possession by possession basis. But I do think you'll see him, Paulo, that is, 
used in a variety of ways offensively, not just, you know, pick and rolls, not just isolation, not just in the post, um, not just as, a, you know, and the guy in the at the elbows or as a handoff hub, but just all of it. You'll get to see all of it. Uh, and Powell very much seems like someone who could just score 27 points completely within the <laughs> flow of a larger ecosystem. Just based on I, this is not I don't watch guys in college that much. I crash course it before the draft and then summer league watching him during those stints just like uh, he is uh, off the charts and he might and maybe this isn't even a hot thing. like he passed he might already be their best passer you know the play that you're talking about like he just feels like i know markel Fultz is there wendell carter jr is really good there as well uh but he just seems like such a high iq player i do want to see the ball in his hands a ton but this is not a necessity for him to have the ball in his hands yeah no it's really not and that's actually one of the things that impressed me a lot at his time from what i was able to watch at duke he and i guess this goes back to his passing he like there were times in duke that you even think to yourself hey like you could actually just go for it yourself more you can look for your own shot more it was actually i was talking with jesse uh magic assistant coach jesse murmurs about this after i think it was the second summer it was the summer league game where uh they had crazy ending it was like overtime after they blew a 16 point lead or whatever it was and Paulo made the pass to Emmanuel Terry for the the game winning shot and we were just talking about you know like the mindset his approach to the game and we were just talking like he could like there were times in that game where he could have just like got got, uh, got his own and just tried to go for his own shot but Jesse we were just talking like he just told me like I like that you know he's trying to like get guys involved because sometimes it can be harder to teach them that than the opposite. I like that he's like he's he's actively consciously trying to like get guys involved and trying to help help make his teammates better already in summer league as a rookie. When really in summer league, all you want to see is at least as fans or even media sometimes is see those guys go at it. But he's out here right. trying to play a more of a team oriented game, even when the ball was in his hands more. The I guess my final question on him is: Do you have like any impressions or expectations for the type of defensive player? that he can be with the Magic or maybe even just his overarching fit in the front court with Wendell Carter Jr. on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think so last year in terms of the Magic, they, you know, they had a pretty good, like I would say really good front uh, defensive front court in terms of, you know, that that combination of Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter Jr. Then, you know, you'll say Chumo Kiki hop in there and then Franz would go to the four sometimes. So, and they just, they played a variety of different styles, you know, between drop, switch, everything it was. And I think with, for Paulo, we, I asked him about this during summer league because there were times in summer league where I thought his defense looked off. He says some of it for him is going to get in better shape, up his conditioning. Um, I think the tools are there for him to be a solid defender. I don't know if about excellent, um, just because you know the wingspan or maybe sometimes the quickness isn't there. But I do think the tools in terms of foot speed and just I mean, he's big too. So even if you know guys are a little quicker than him, he has a size to recover. Uh, I think there's a um, a runway or a path for him to be solid on that end. It's just going to be more so about his understanding um, of the game. And he showed the, at least the office understanding. I'm inclined to believe he can understand defensively as well. Um, and then also maybe just get the conditioning up. And then, like he was saying over the summer, and just get a better feel. I think defensively is going to be where I'm actually going to be more interested in and more curious about the growth um, for him. Because the Magic have a lot of defensive-minded guys around him that can maybe mask a couple things, at least especially early on. You know, you do have Jalen, you do have Franz, you do have Wendell, um, you do still have Mobamba. You have a lot. I know we're going to talk about Jonathan Isaac at some point, depending on where he's at. You do have a lot of different pieces, so it depends on that too. And I, I think it really helps having someone like Wendell Carter Jr. who just played like 
at a really high level on the defensive end last year. And I, I still think he's more mobile than people give him credit for. And let, let's just, I have a question on Wendell Carter. Jr. Let's just skip ahead to that. Yeah. Uh, what was like, he had like this refreshing Renaissance. It wasn't even a Renaissance. It was like a reinvention in Orlando last season. Uh, the passing was incredible. He showed, I think a variety of different shot making. Like I said, the defensive mobility watching him was super impressive. It felt like someone who was very much like, I wouldn't say, Oh, this dude's going to be an all-star, but who was on a fringe all-star track. What do you think was just the most underrated aspect of what he contributed to this team? And how do you sort of scale that moving forward, looking at his importance to the, to the bigger picture? The most underrated part. Yeah, the, the one thing about Wendell is that you can almost say like all of it's underrated because some of the parts of his game are just understated because there were, I, I spoke with Wendell and even spoke with some of the coaches about this. A lot of what he was doing was the simple things that you, you know, can sometimes be hard to do. And Jamal says, like, dominate the simple. And what, at least to me, what I mean by that, when I took that as, like, offensive rebounding, crash the boards, run in transition, you know, cut well, you know, all this simple stuff that can accumulate, you know, if you twice a game, you make this two these two cuts, you know, you'll get four points out of it. Or maybe you'll get five because you get fouled. You know, get, get to the offensive, but, like, for real, crash the boards. Like, his rebounding really, I guess that's the underrated part. Like, he was a – ferocious on the boards like truly a game-changing rebounder throughout the season and it really just scaled up as the season went along and I do agree with you in terms of the mobility that's something that he said that he wants to improve being able to truly guard one through five but there was times when like hey I think you're kind of already there man like you, you can move your feet pretty well you're you know he's I think was sometimes overlooked just how like strong he is like he it's 270, and it's like you can tell he's a for real 270, like just a big dude. He can body up with the biggest guys in the league. That's why they put him on, you know, Giannis or Embiid or Jokic because he just has the the height, the length, but also the weight and the uh, just the, yeah, to just hold his own with against these stronger, powerful guys. So that that's really it. And then as the season went along, he started to show a little bit more of that. Um, self-creation that on-ball creation for himself I mean, which I, I was like all right so maybe that's the next step you can build off of going into next year you know you you show you can dominate the simple the simple parts of the game you know the roll man roll quick roll hard like i said off the boards now let's see if what you can do a little bit more in the post you know you show you can be a hub but look what what can you do in terms of creating your own shot um consistently which may not also come as often because you have a bunch of other. I'm gonna keep coming back to you. you have a bunch of other young guys who are also right. looking to do the same. And they did some like fringe, like dual big two man stuff last year. I'm really hoping we get to see a ton of that between him and Paolo. And it doesn't to me it doesn't matter who has the ball. And that's like I would just love to see those two operate off one another. I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about with this team. Yeah, no, absolutely. That I forget who I was talking to. I probably said this a couple times, but this front court of Franz, Wendell, and Paulo. I mean, I've said this before. I haven't gotten too much pushback on it, so I'm actually I'll say it's you see. We'll see what the comments are after this post. But I'm not saying passing. I'm saying just overall playmaking. This has to be one of the better ones in the league top three in terms of the combination of those three in the front court, not the team, just the front court, Franz, Paulo, and window. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just because when do you have three guys at the three, four, five who can all basically operate? And we're not even talking about like, yeah, Wendell Carter Jr. And both Paulo, they can both operate from toward the inside out, but all three of these guys can operate from the outside in. Right. And that's not something you see 
at every single frontline spot. That's not something I thought about, but now that you mention it, like, yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's super, that has to be super accurate. Yeah. The only team I could really think about, and it was even a little different for them. I mean, yeah, you could, uh, I mean, Boston was like the other team I was like, cause you do have, and, the, and when I say Boston, I'm thinking of Tatum, um, Horford and Rob Williams, but even Rob Williams isn't operating from the outside in in the same no, way. He's like Pop- making plays out of the role. Yeah. yeah, yeah, making plays out of the role, like quick play, and that's important. Yeah. I'm not going to try. I'm not trying to downplay that. But in terms of the outside in, inside out, like front, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about Franz at some point. But some of the passes he was making as a rookie were just like you see, you you kind of like Paul. You already see it now. Like you see the you see the angles. You see how to move the pieces around. So. That's why, like, I'm just thinking, like, some maybe someone will bring up another team I haven't thought of after this post, but I'm a, this, yeah, that's why I'm kind of stuck on this. Just playmaking inside yeah, and out has to be one of the, if not the best of the three, uh, combination of three players in the front court, one of, I would say, top three. Yeah, it has to be up there, like, maybe because Toronto is basically positionless at this mm, point with Diakam yeah. and OG. I mean, I, depending on how you feel about Aaron Gordon and then Michael Porter Jr., there is Denver, they have Jokic there, but. That's a great point that I haven't really considered. And you did mention Franz Wagner just far and away exceeded any expectations I had for him on both ends of the floor last season. What most like resonated with you during his, his rookie year. And you mentioned that he, and I didn't see full disclosure. I didn't watch any of his like Eurobasket highlights, nothing mm-hmm. like that's not stuff I'm plugged into. Um, what can you see him like really improving upon uh, next year, especially within the makeup of, this roster that I think even if they're not worlds better, like they're just better by virtue of being healthier and adding Palo, hopefully. Right. Well, with Franz, what really impressed me, it was almost coincidental because I, I joined the beat. I started covering this team in December, December 1st was my first day, December 1st, 2021. And that was around the time that COVID started to really like hike up and you could see reflecting the rosters that teams were putting out. I, like my second or third week on the job, that's when the magic had like they started to lose a bunch of guys, like four, I think four guys landed in protocols at one point. They had injuries too. Mm-hmm. So like at one point, you know, they talk about point Franz, but Franz, I, I wrote a story about this. Like he was really their main ball handler because they, you know, Cole, I think Cole Anthony was in and out of the lineup at one point. Jalen Suggs, his, he had, he was dealing with his broken thumb. Mark F. Fultz was still come, trying to uh, make his way back from the torn ACL. So it was really. You know, Franz getting so much playmaking responsibility, so much you know offensive responsibilities, and that was the month that he won Rookie of the Year because he would just show that I can do a lot more than people. You know, people probably thought he could. You know, from the playmaking standpoint, being able to just run an offense, run a pick and roll, and just do a variety of things out of the pick and roll, um, whether it's the driving game and being able to get to the rim and just finish with these really these Euro steps, but also his arms are so long sometimes. He did it in Eurobasket too. He'll go underneath you to like kind of like he'll go underneath your arms to finish or even over you or just like these really odd angles he goes at. And uh, it's it's it, that really took me back just the self creation, the creation for others. I think when Franz was drafted, there was uh, the stigma of oh yeah, three and D role player who can just fill in the gaps and he can do those things. But there is a much higher ceiling for him because of what he can do on his own in terms of his own creation um, for himself and for others. Yeah. Like the, uh, this is, I don't even know if it's a word, like the angularity of his finishes on drives and even like some of the force, like watching some of his drives, like dudes bouncing off his shoulders, like when he's close to the basket, like this is someone who's sort of blended like force and finesse at the same time. And it's just, 
you know, I didn't have a, again, as someone who doesn't dive too far into college, I didn't have a great feel for what he was supposed to be, but he was billed, like you said, as the three and D prospect. And I even thought I looked at him and was watching highlights of him. I'm like, can he actually hold up defensively at the three? And like, I think, you know, the, the magic and how they're built, like, yeah, sure. That maybe helped him a little bit, but like he did just fine there too. So this is, I don't even know what, I don't like to talk necessarily about player ceilings, but I don't even know what his is because he's just so much more of a comprehensive player than I was ever led to imagine leading into last year. Yeah, I think I think I would use the word idiosyncratic to describe some of his the way he moves. Like it's a, at a rhythm that's not like a lot of players. Like he is not, and he's so and he takes advantage of his size. Like six, he's legit. Like six ten and yeah. the the length. Like he'll just move in ways that guys are just kind of like defenders are a little bit confused because like wait, I thought you were going to move at this pace, but you're moving at a different pace. I thought you were going to step here, but you stepped over here. It's savvy. It's, he's very savvy in that sense. And, you, you know, I know you, I know you said you don't really touch on your basket, but what I really started to notice, and even other people around the league I spoke with noticed, the pull-up shooting was really starting to come around. And I could tell wow. at the end of the season uh, he was working on that, you know, in shoot-arounds and practice, like the the deeper shooting and deeper shooting, but also on pull-ups. And at one point, he was knocking down like 50% of his pull-up threes. It's not going to be that in the NBA. But if he can, I think it was 32% on like one attempt per game or like 1.1 attempt per game as a rookie. If he can get that to like 34, 30, 35 on maybe like one and a half, like that changes a decent amount for him because now, and you saw it in your old basket, it, you, you can't, you, you have to go over screens now. You can't go under screens now because if you do, he's going to pull up in your face. And that just opens up his driving lanes, which to me, the driving part was some of the one of the better parts of his game. That's what helped open up everything because he can if he sees a lane, he can get through there pretty well, regardless of who's in front of him. And he has a decent touch on his floater. I I, I know he, he actually took a lot of floaters or t- took a lot of those shots like outside of four feet, but inside the free throw line. So if he can just get to that spot, if he can get to a spot where his pull-up game is um, from beyond the arc is reliable and it's a threat, it's going to open up so much more because now the, his defender has to go over screens. Like, they have to. Before, you can kind of be like, all right, we'll go under, and, you know, maybe they'll do a rescreen. No, if the pull-up's real, that changes everything. Do you see that? Because like, when you go back and watch some of those, like, pull-up looks from last season – I don't know how to like they felt over deliberate to where they're just sort of a reaction to like what like the defense was giving him. Do you see that being a shot that he can nail it? I guess like a higher processing speed is the way that I would be able to frame it. Like, is that a realistic outcome for him? Absolutely. I, that's that's kind of what I was seeing um, in your best. Like it was the not just the fact that he's making them, but he's like it was decisive. It wasn't like, hey, I'll take what you give me. He's like, I'm going for it. Cause I know what he also, I know you're going to be in a drop and I know my defender is, you know, you're going to be in a drop and my defenders got either cob on the screen or is going under and they're trying to get to me. I'm doing it. I'm just pulling up he, in the, the, uh, the intentionality, I guess if that's, if that's even a word, just very, very deliberate in terms of like, I'm going for it. Just not thinking too much balls taking his time. Like that's, that's, I guess, catching like playing at his own pace. But just going for it, and that's the big thing. We'll see. Not being hesitant um, is what I saw during the summer. So that's something that I'm going to be watching from him, just seeing how much does he go for that. You know, can he get if he can get that percentage a little higher from low 30s? Because he shot 35 percent from three for the season. His catch and shoot, 
you know, when he was open as a catch and shoot guy or even from the corner corners, it's pretty good. Um, it was the the pull up threes that were kind of, I guess, dragging his percentage down a little bit. So if he can get that up and get a higher volume and just make guys see more as a threat out there, is going to be there. And, he, and it's the confidence that he showed. I, I do. I saw him play a little bit, a lot more confidently, or a little bit more confidently with the uh, from beyond the arc in terms of shooting off the dribble. So I definitely think that's in his, in the cards for him. If we would have said over a little over a year ago that we'd be addressing Franz Wagner's year two before Jalen Suggs's year two, I think people <laughs> probably would have thought we were out of our minds. But Jalen Suggs, his rookie campaign, it felt like very stop and starty. He you already mentioned the thumb issue. He had an ankle issue. And he was also, you know, like they gave him a lot of responsibility on offense, particularly when Markel Fultz was out too. What do you like take away? From that rookie year, is there any real cause for concern? I still remain, when I go back and watch him, not that I do it routinely, but when I did go back in preparation for this and watch him, he just, he passes the sniff test and the eye test to me when you're looking at some of the stuff he does. And I feel like in a more streamlined role, like in a, one, a more consistent hierarchy, but also just having the talent of, you know, not only Franz Wagner, but now you're adding Paolo Bancaro and Wendell Carter Jr. to that. I think his offensive efficiency is just going to, to come around. Um, but where do you sort of land on him and what is like this team looking to see from him specifically in year two? Yeah, I just looked it up just to make sure this was correct. It's in terms of responsibilities. He had the second highest usage rate looked up on cleaning the glass of the entire magic, just like barely behind Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony was at 27.3. Uh, Jalen Suggs was at 27 flat percent. That is. So yeah, that and for a for a rookie guard, that's a lot of just who didn't have like any spacing around him. That, yeah, that. I mean it's 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 tough. Like that's a lot of ball handling. That's a lot of figuring things out. And, and for me, I think what we saw was a guy who was who who was catching up. Who was just learning the game. And what made it tough was the fact that it, you know it was stop and go. You know he did have the thumb issue. No very early on to the season. Like I said, I joined the beat in this, like I, my first day on the beat, December 1st, like Jalen had just got hurt like two, like the day before, two nights, two nights before. And that was what 22 games into the season. Then he comes back in early January and then he has the English issues not too long. Like the, honestly, the best I saw from an offensive, offensive perspective, it felt like the best I saw Jalen was immediately after he came back from the thumb injury. Um, he seemed he seemed like he took that time while he was injured and really was able to just get a little bit of a better understanding of all right, let, I, things are going to slow down for me a little bit. I can take this time to really just pinpoint things, work on his finishing. Which to me, like that was something that I noticed from before his injury. Like if you look at the, the pre-injury Jalen and the post-injury Jalen, his finishing at least immediately did get an uptick. Finishing at the rim, that is. So for me, I mean. I think you just saw a rookie guard just struggle, struggle sometimes struggle with the pace. Really, I mean, we don't have to, uh, we don't have to, uh, I guess, wiggle around. Really struggle with shooting um, from beyond the arc. I mean, you think what twenty one percent on threes, and you wonder at sometimes like how much did the thumb injury affect him in that sense? Because before the injury, it was it was pretty rough. It was I think it was on twenty five percent, but even after after the injury, it really took a nosedive. So you do wonder how much that impacted things, how much of the ankle impact things. He did have surgery really early offseason to address that. So I saw a guy who just struggled at least offensively a lot, but defensively, 
he just he showed that he 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 can be really special on that end. He can be really special defensive guard. Um, the understanding is there, especially off the ball to me. And he 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 can be if he can figure out the shooting or even the handles or just one of them. It doesn't even be both. He can figure out one of those things. He's going to be a high level player for quite a while. Yeah, there was a game later in the season. I think it was, and the Magic like blew them out. I think it was against Indiana. And he had like 10 assists and 14 or 15 points. And that was the game like, no, I don't expect him to be like a 14 and 10 guy. But it just, everything felt very just like, it just felt right. And he looked comfortable. And it was like, this is someone who can fill a bunch of different um, like functional holes or check a bun- bunch of different functional boxes. And I think that gets easier for him to do, not just because he's a sophomore, not just because maybe he's going to be healthier entering this season, but just because I think the talent around him is elevated now that Wagner's in year two, now that you have a Paolo Caro, And like, he had a lot of like point guardy, I don't know, like point guardy responsibilities, which I don't know if that's going to be what's best suited for him. Now, when you sort of knock him down the pecking order, even a little bit where Markel Fultz is there, and then you do have, Bancaro and Wagner, if he's able to do more on the ball, along with Wendell Carter Jr., uh, it's like I mentioned at the top. I just think a, a more streamlined role. And that's not to say he needs to do less, but just something where it's not so like there were points when I watched the Magic anyway. You saw way more of them than I. It felt very like heliocentric with right. Dale and Suggs. And like that doesn't need to happen moving forward. No, I agree. I and I think in a, to an extent it was helpful for him to get, you know, to, I guess for things to be a little bit more heliocentric so he could just. If you want to see it, not force feed, but just like get these reps in so you can you're not going to learn if you don't get these reps in. Like we need you to learn what to do in these situations. So we need you to get the reps. And that's what last year was so much about for everybody, a learning process. Um, but I think this season he's not there's not going to be as much on his shoulders on a possession by possession or game by game basis, because you do have like you said, you do have pop, like Paulo alone. Paulo alone is going to probably like he's going to change the complexion of what the offense looks like. But then you have every like we're we're going to run through this roster we're talking about, but every other like every guy on this offense is going to try to look to get a little bit more. Especially you know you get Paulo back, you get Markel like fully healthy Markel or get um in it you get Franz who could take a leap. Like you just have more guys less on him to carry, and I think that's honestly probably. A better role for him, even if if you told me that coming and we coming out Gonzaga for him, I wouldn't say, oh yeah, the best fit for Jalen Suggs to be like this more heliocentric, you know, main or even secondary ball handler. He can almost like plug holes, but to me, he needs to. I think the shooting, at least for me, I think the shooting is more is the most important thing for him to improve. Uh, you know, going into the second season, but just beyond that too. Because he shows once he can get like he's strong, he can, he can be quick, he can be straight line. Once he, he can get into the paint, but it's going to be difficult for him to do so if you know he's playing off ball and the guy his the guy's defending him just sagging off and really just packing the paint because you know he shot twenty one percent on three as a rookie. Like he needs to obviously have an uptick in that just so defense can defense can respect him a little bit more. I'm not even talking about pull-up shooting, just straight catch and shoot, just catch and shoot. That's what he needs to do. Because that's I would imagine he's going to be put in more of those situations this upcoming season because he's probably going to have to play off ball more. I wonder if just having more trust in his pull-up too. Like if you watch like him taking ball screens last year, he felt a little indecisive at times and like dribbling inside the arc. There were like moments you saw the form, you saw the decisiveness where he just rises up because the defense is dropped. 
um, below like the screen too far and he was able to make them pay. But there was also like moments of where it seemed like he was too reticent. Maybe he's just more decisive in year two. And that goes a long way during the reps where he does have the ball. Yeah. Something I, I hadn't asked him about this summer and it probably just going to be one of those things that I asked him at some point, whether it's media day or some, at some point during the season, I just wonder, I'm wondering myself, like at some point, where did the confidence go in your own shot? You know, especially, you know, you, you know, you struggle shooting, like I said, I think it was like around 25, 26% early on. And then, you know, you, you, you get injured and it's, it's your shoot. It's your dominant hand. It's your shooting hand, the right thumb. Like how does that change things? So I, I'm curious, like I say, even without the pull-ups, just the catch and shoot, it, this, the shot, at least last season, it looked like, it looked like a solid shot. Like the base looked good. Like things look pretty solid, like in terms of form, maybe we can do a couple tweaks, but it, he looked like he had a good base. I just want to see, like, you just got to go in at a certain point. We made it more than 32 minutes without me asking. Uh, any sense of what the timelines for returns are on Gary Harris, of course. I mean, he was really, really good last year. I don't think enough people talked about that, but mainly when are we going to see Jonathan Isaac again? Yeah. Uh, so first off, congratulations. Cause I know this, this who, it, congratulations to you, because I know this must've hurt you to wait this long to ask about J.I., uh, two congratulations to anybody who's listening who's been waiting who's been waiting this long for a JI answer. I I the wonder. podcast does I do timestamp it as we go, so if people really want their Jonathan Isaac <laughs> injury fix, like they can skip ahead. Oh, <laughs> uh, so answer your question directly. Uh, I'll, I'll go with Gary since you his, uh you brought him up first. No, no, I guess there's really no official update on either one. Um, Gary did have I really hope I pronounced this correctly, anthroscopic meniscectomy. Are we are we are we there? Yeah, I'm there? just going to say you're right because I wouldn't even have <laughs> attempted to say the second word. Yeah. Uh, I really hope that's right. And you can look it up uh, online. He, he had a torn meniscus. He got surgery on it uh, August 31st. Uh, talked to surgeons myself. A lot of them say it's a six to eight week recovery time to get back on the floor uh, to be full go. That gets you to around like mid to late October. So I don't know. We're going to, we're going to find out, you know, throughout the course of the preseason, like what exactly Gary can do at this point, since it hasn't been close to a month since the surgery. But I would imagine, you know, if the timeline of his recovery is similar to what it is for most players who have that procedure after torn meniscus, he'll be back. I mean, I guess possibly, you know, what the magic open October 19th, technically that's a little over six weeks out. I think that's seven weeks to be exact from the surgery. Like he could be back by then, but I could also see it like maybe even late October. I would, but the Magic only plays seven games in October. I would imagine he won't miss too much time depending on what he can do and where he's at with his rehab um, throughout the preseason and what he's doing uh, during this time. J.I., where we at? 34 minutes. J.I., no official update. You know, from what I've seen, it seems like he's moving well. I know there was the, the hamstring issue that he had in March, had, uh, had to have a procedure on that. But he seems like he's moving well. He's He isn't wearing a brace before – the hamstring set uh, setback. He wasn't wearing. I don't remember him wearing a leg sleeve or brace anymore. Like closer to the time in like February. Um, so no official update on him or what his status is going to be going into preseason or going to the season. That answer will come, I'm sure, very soon once things really kick off. Uh, what was it? Was it Monday, Tuesday? One of, one of those days. It ends and why. Let's just say Jonathan Isaac is back. He's healthy at some point. Like, where does he fit into the long-term vision of this team now? I mean, 
before he got hurt, and I want to—I think I wrote about that. Maybe I, I, I'm pretty sure I wrote this like that 2019 to 2020 season before he got hurt that time because he got hurt at the end of 20. I think the very beginning of 2020, like the first day of January, second day of January, he was looking like one of the better defensive players in the league. And I know you can just if you go if you go on Magic Twitter, there are an abundance of Jonathan Isaac uh, defensive highlights. But you look at them, and he's like, this dude can like. He can move so fluidly. He can move so well. He can defend everybody. I mean, he was their main. He was he was a guy that uh, in 2019 playoffs when when the Magic played the Raptors, he was a guy that you could throw on Kawhi and say just do what you do against him, and Kawhi would struggle just because that size and that mobility and that length and the instincts. Like he, any player, any player that who's that good defensively, especially in what Jamal mostly teaches, which is defense and being defensively sound, it was something that was, I don't know about underrated, but maybe somewhat lost in the late part of the season. Like the Magic had one of the better defenses post-All-Star break, and even season long, I want to say they're a top 12 to 13 defense for the course of the season. So if you throw a guy like J.I., who could potentially be the best defender on this team if he's able to get back to that level – like that just takes you from like, all right, this Magic team has the tools to be a top ten defense. To no, this team can be an elite on that end, and Ji can be at the center of it if he's healthy and if he's able to stay on the floor. Do you, if he's able to stay on the floor, like, should we anticipate seeing jumbo sized lineups with him, Paolo, Wagner, and maybe Wendell Carter Jr. at the same time? I think I can speak for Magic fandom, Twitter, whoever. That would be like that's their prayer right now. Like just the. Throw in Franz, Franz, Paolo, J.I., Wendell, and throw in whoever else in that. You could some people want it to be Bull Bull. Some people want it to be Mark. <laughs> Everybody's six nine, six ten and up. Like, yeah, yeah. That. It, could be, it could be Mark Hill, it could be Bull Bull. It could be I this I'm about to spoil something, but this could like my the lineup that I thought of, and I was just talking with people about is like once if it could happen, I would absolutely love to see a uh, Gary Harris, Franz Wagner, Paulo, J.I., and Wendell lineup. That's the lineup I'm, like, super, I don't know, like, just really curious about what that could do. And I, I throw in Gary Harris because he was an elite, you know, for them, an elite shooter. He was their, honestly, their best shooter last season, um, an elite from the corner. So he can give you that space. Like, in a lineup like that, you know, when you have that guys that big and maybe not the greatest threats from deep, it can get a little, maybe a little uh, clogged in the paint. So he could just be the spacer who can shoot in a variety of ways, or even maybe a guy like Terrence Ross in that lineup who can provide a little bit more movement shooting and a little bit more predictability in that sense. But I think there there's potential for jumbo lineups where you see, you know, a guy like Franz or even Paolo playing the two and three, and you kind of roll from there. But I think that also would be dependent upon, you know, J.I., you know, obviously being healthy and being able to get on the floor consistently. What's the best way for him to contribute offensively on this team for someone who I felt like was very formless on offense to begin with. They tried to, you know, shoehorn some on ball possessions. I'm talking about what way back, like 80 years ago when he was healthy at this point, I have a zero feel for what he's was supposed to be offensively then. And I'm curious as to how you would think, like what would be the best way for him to, or most effective way for him to contribute offensively to this, you know, iteration of the magic, which is by the way, galaxy's different. Uh, from the iteration of the magic that he last played for. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, you think about the the magic that he last played for. I mean, you're talking about Aaron Gordon was still on the team. You're talking about Nikola Vucevic was still on the team. Evan Fournier was still on the team. 
Parker Carl Williams. Like it's a completely different. I mean, I I, I wrote about I wrote this somewhere. I'm going to forget, so I'm not even going to say the number. But if you look at the amount, the, the number of guys, like I think Markel and Terrence Ross are the only guys that I think Ji has shared the floor I with. Yeah, I know Terrence Ross is like the longest tenured Magic player at this point. Yeah, it's just like a weird thing to. I know he's been there a while, but it's a weird thing to contemplate. Yeah, so I, I and I'm, I hope I'm not forgetting someone, but I think Markel and J, uh, Markel and Terrence are the only guys Ji from the Magic's current roster are the only guys Ji's played you know a regular season or I guess even postseason game or preseason game with for that matter. So to answer your question more directly, I think for him it's just going to be, hey, you know, you've had this time. Where's your jump shot at? Right. And that's that's and when I say that, because we're talking about these j- big jumbo lineups, sometimes it's going to be like, hey, like, can we how are we going to create space to really operate? Because, you know, with those jumbo lineups, I think, all right, defensively, it's going to be length, it's going to be size, it's going to be able to have all these different situations. But if a jump shot can get a little bit, you know, if it can be if you can be a guy who can space in the corner and be a threat from there and maybe, you know, cut in. Uh, when, you know, maybe a guy like Franz or a guy like Cole, a guy like Markel, a guy like Jalen, you know, get into the paint or Paolo get into the paint, either make it cut or be able to space, be able to make that decision and be able to be a threat from either position. I think that will be the ideal role because at this point, offensively, like they have, they, they're building up guys who can be like for re- like true offensive threats or maybe even be a hub, you know, a handoff hub in that sense in terms of making those decisions. But if he can be a guy who can space and cut, and maybe roll when the time's necessary. When it's necessary, if he's playing alongside, say, a guy like Mobamba who can space, mm-hmm. then I think that's the ideal role. You're not going to ask him to do too much offensively. It's just going to be this like a more simple role: cut, space, and roll when necessary. Markel Fultz has been when he's healthy, like this nice bounce back story for Orlando. There's real like directionality to his on ball game and his passing has come a long way and the mid range jumper is uh operable, I think would probably be the best way to describe it at this point. What is his role sort of like now that you do have there's more people who can operate on ball? Does it simplify his life? Does it diminish the need for him to continue developing offensively? Do you see elements of his offensive game that you um envision that he could either expand upon or or get better at, I still find, and I've talked, Magic fans disagree with me, I still don't know whether I consider him like a core member of this team when we're looking like multiple years out. And so I do, I recognize that he's good, like he's become good and does a lot, but I don't know where he fits into like the, you know, the I say this too much, but like the larger context of of this squad's future. Yeah, I, I get why. I, I get why sometimes it can, it can be a little... I'll say murky with him because you think about what he does bring, right? Like he, he, his, the, the mid range shooting has really become like, it, that's a legit threat for him now. Like he is really, uh, he can be a legit threat for mid range. He can get to the cup. He can get to the paint. He has a very, uh, there's a word I'm forgetting right now, but he's just very like his body. Like he just moves at this very, almost like Franz at this very different pace and is very herky jerky. And he's just, yeah, his cadence is like eccentric. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. The cadence is just it's 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 a different level. So he can always it's, he seems like he can always create lanes for himself to just go into, and he has the size to just take advantage of. You know, sometimes he can get into the post and just hit you with a uh, turnaround shot. Like he has these different dimensions now that maybe even a couple of years ago 
he may not have had. And he's gotten stronger too, which is encouraging to see. Uh, I think in terms of his game, you want to see – I mean, the obvious answer is going to be you want to see a reliable jump shot. You, you want to see what, what he – like what's it going to look like if you're Paulo and let's say we're running a Paulo Gary Harris or Paulo Cole Anthony, Paulo J, like an inverted pick and roll mm-hmm. where, no, Paulo's the ball handler and – for like I said, Gary Harris, pick whoever guard, Cole, Jalen, Gary, they're popping out, and you you know you can imagine where the what the folks are like. Like where is Markel in this uh, on the floor in terms of the geometry of the floor, and, be, and depending on where he is, like is he stretching his defender? Like is the defender having to stretch out? Or is like what was for a Magic team that maybe that you know struggled as much with shooting as much as they did last year? Like how is he? I guess, opening up lanes for others without the ball in his hands. He is very dynamic with the ball in his hands. He can create – he creates passing lanes. He creates opportunities that do not exist without him being the – or at least he did last season, even the year uh, – last time he was healthy. He creates opportunities that were not there, but he created them because he was the ball handler, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, he created things that weren't easy to create that, honestly, a lot of the other guys on the team would not create. But this team is starting to show, I think, and some maybe this is my own take on this team and my own take on maybe what Jamal Mosley says. But I was listening to an interview he did with the, the Magic's official podcast, Pod Squad, and he mentioned, I'm paraphrasing, that he's we want to teach these guys how to play off ball. Um, and I remember speaking with him about at one point about Franz Wagner. Uh, and about like you know he was he was after when Jalen after Jalen came back and after Markel came back and Cole was healthy like what's Franz's role as a ball handler and he and he and we were talking about he's like I'm trying to like I'm not just trying to develop like pick and roll guys or ISO guys or whatever I'm trying to develop these well rounded holistic basketball players I take that to say and I'm trying to relate that to Markel is like I'm just trying to figure out like what's the big like whole picture for Markel as a basketball player. Right. Because a lot of times we do focus on like these very specific things. But what about, well, like, what's, how is he going to, I guess, fit into these other constructs, um, lineup wise or geometry wise on the floor? And I think for him, it's just, you know, being able to find a way. Maybe it's cutting. Maybe it's a guy who can operate maybe in the dunk response situations. Maybe he could be a guy where, I, you know, I don't want to say like Bruce Brown because that's not, it's not going to look like that. But if you know what I'm saying, like maybe he's a guy who can be, a guy who sets a screen and can be the guy in the short role, right? And so that's how you can get, you know, you can make up for maybe the the lack of outside shooting by just having him inside the arc at all times, so he's always a threat. And maybe that maybe that's the way around. It. I'm not. That's something I'm actually very curious to see. Like, how do they operate with this? Yeah, I think if he's not going to be able to develop a sh- like consistent like perimeter game outside of the the mid range would be is there a way to for him to generate more rim pressure or get to the foul line more would be ways that he could contribute. And he's, he's better at creating like openings at the rim for others than himself, where it's like some of his like on ball reps could probably benefit from more thrust where it feels like maybe he bails out a little too soon or he's not looking for a shot around the rim, but being able to, and you know, generating rim pressure for him gets easier if there's more space to work with. And like you said, if he's either not just working the dunker spot, but is he able to cut and, put pressure that way that might be another way for him to sort of level up but i guess overall it's sort of still like tbd as to whether this is someone to uh you know 
that should be considered part of the the main core of the future. Yeah, and I, I guess I mean with Markel, like he did show like the ability. I know I talked about the mid range, but I'm glad you brought up the getting to the rim part because he did show uh, like he very much can get to the rim very well. Like, and that's something that this Magic team lacked for most of last season. Like they just missed rim pressure. They 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 liked rim pressure, I should say. They liked the ability to just get a guy, and that's where Paul's going to help. That's where Markel's going to help. A guy who can. Sometimes we think about opening up the floor as in spacing, but sometimes you can open up the floor by making guys collapse on you because that just right. opens up passing angles. And that's what Markel's that's where Markel can excel. And I think where they hope Paulo can excel. Like even if you aren't spacing, you can excel because you make guys come inside. But I'm trying to figure the, the big question is like what happens if you know Markel doesn't have the ball? Because like I've been saying throughout this podcast, a lot of different guys are gonna need to operate with the ball. So maybe it's gonna be like it's a short roll cutting it could i mean it seems like they're willing to just try i think that's going to be a common theme for the season just try a bunch of different stuff and see what works um from that sense because a lot of what we saw from markel at least this past season where the ball was just in his hands a lot yeah uh, like he like he had a usage rate beyond i think it was like 32 percent uh after he came back which that's that's high that, that's i mean i i I looked at the number not that long ago and I was like, really? I was like, that thing, I, I remember the plays, but I'm like, it was that. Uh, Even 27 and a half for the season is like probably a little uncomfortably high for Markel Fultz at this point. Yeah. I was like, it made sense. Cause like it, the thing is that it, it made sense because like, I remember watching it's like, yeah, when he was on the floor and it was also, you had to remember the lineup context. He was playing a lot with backups too. So it made sense that it was that high. Cause he was the main ball handler. Or sometimes like the sole ball handler in those lineups. Mm-hmm. Also, was like, yeah, that, that's super high. Like, that's gonna come down. It's like that has to come down this season. Like, I would imagine significantly down. Like, it would really and it would really surprise me if anybody on this team had a usage rate above twenty seven percent or even twenty six. I should say, just because they're gonna be sharing, they're gonna have to share so much of the ball. Um, depending on health, of course. Yeah, they very much feel at full strength, like playmaking by committee. Uh, yeah, which the, the beauty of their team is that they just have. We I say playmaker, but Jamal says decision makers, and I think he says decision makers because we think of playmaking as play making making plays with the ball in your hands. But there's only there's only one ball. So cliche to say, but there's only one ball, and there's so many guys. So I think decision makers, and that's what we talk about: cutting, spacing, rolling, being able to figure things out in that sense. I apologize for my dogs making a guest appearance in the background. They're normally quiet for these things. Uh, the other player that I'm fascinated by on this team is Chumo Kiki. Uh, it's tough to kind of get a feel for what he's supposed to be, but he is, he can be ubiquitous in the passing lanes on defense. And he shot quietly over 36% from three for like almost half the year. And it felt like his release got quicker or more fluid. I don't know what the right word is there for it. What do you like? Where do you sort of land on him? And is he still someone that this team views as ultra important when you're just looking at how many bodies they kind of have where, I don't want to say just in the front court, but just how many different types of players and like, you know, bigger, uh, I guess, bigger players that they, they have to evaluate moving forward. Yeah. To, well, to your point, it was 30, it was 35%. Uh, he shot 35% in his final 43 games and not just 35%. I mean, we're talking about, he was taking six, six threes in like 26 minutes per game. I mean, that, that volume is, that volume is at, for a wing player, for a forward. That's out of this world. Six three, uh, six threes at thirty six percent 
it's almost like uh, Jay Crowder esque, if, if I guess if you want to say it like that. Just the just the volume of threes for Chuma though. He, you know, I think his rookie year he showed a little bit more playmaking. He like he kind of because he was on the team like once he kicked off the rebuild before they drafted Franz, before they drafted Jalen, um, and be- uh, obviously before they drafted Paolo. Like he showed a little bit more playmaking his first year, and I think this year they were it was more like the outside shooting was the big thing for him to to develop. I think there is a role for him on this team, um, especially when you, he does. You do have the defense, uh, defensive awareness and defensive ability as he does. It, it's just gonna it's gonna be tough for him just because there, like you said, there are a lot of big bodies. Like you have, in terms of you know maybe bigger forwards, not wings. You have Franz. You have well, I guess we'll do both um, bigger forwards and bigs. Like you have Franz Chuma. Wendell, Paolo, potentially J.I., Bull Bull, Mo Wagner, uh, did I say Mo Bamba? And then, like, you just go, I didn't name everybody, but you just go down the line. It's like, there's a lot of guys to play. Like, how, where's Chuma going to fit in? And I think when you have a, and you, you're that good defensively, if you can, if he can show that he can be a guy who can shoot 35, 36, 37% on his threes, you know, pretty consistently on a decent volume and just space the floor, there's going to be a role for him. I just wonder, like, is he going to have to play the three more in lineups? Because they do have a lot of big bodies on this team. He played primarily the four last year, and sometimes he even played the five in, like, these super ultra-small lineups. Is he going to have to maybe, you know, show that he can guard threes a little bit better uh, or more, you know, maybe more, not even just threes, but, like, quicker wings a little bit better or even some guards in switching situations just because he may find himself not playing the four as much because they just have they have so many guys who if you just you know you blink to be like oh yeah that guy can play next to another big man and that's just like almost the entire roster uh maybe not the entire but like the entire front line you can kind of mix and match but sometimes at some point you're going to play three of those bigger forwards or even bigs together just to get the minutes distribution out there when you step back and take a look at this roster in full, what projects is like their biggest weakness to you or your biggest concern when you're evaluating them from that, that type of bird's eye view? It's still, so there are really two things. Uh, the outside shooting, the, the three point shooting is still a, uh, I guess a concern. And then I you know I'll leave it at that. I think I was going to say the the on ball creation. I think they've they're 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 going to get better at that. Just more so development, uh, you know, and also getting like getting a guy like Paulo is going to help in that regard. You know, Franz shows it seems like he's going to take steps. You know, I Cole Anthony I think he's going he's shown that he can take steps in that regard. Like Cole Anthony, we even he, we haven't even brought him up too much, but that stress that he had Cole did uh, from the beginning of the season until like that December time where he started to really deal with those ankle injuries. Like he showed a very good level of just creation. Um, and I think if he can, after a healthy offseason, he can get closer to that level and maybe not in terms of the actual counting stats, but just the being more efficient with those opportunities, that's going to be something very meaningful for this team. But I think it's going to be the outside shooting. They, you know, they re-signed Gary Harris. They re-signed Obama. Those were those, or two best shooters last season. They brought in Caleb Houston, but sometimes I wonder like how much are some of their quote unquote better shooters going to be on the floor? Like how much, you know, Caleb can be, I don't know how much of a role Caleb Houston is going to have on this team. And he can make, he has to essentially be one of their better shooters. Um, You know, 
is Jalen going to take a you know a leap as a shooter? You know, Cole is he shows to be a decent shooter, but can he get to another level as a shooter? I, I think Franz has a different level as a shooter. Like I think guys are, they're going to have to rely on just a lot of self development and self improvement rather as shooters just to get to that different level because sometimes it felt like the lane was or opportunities were just clogged just because you you didn't maybe have to respect every single guy on the floor and their ability to space. We've run through so many names and including Cole Anthony, who I think his role is still important because if they start who I think they're going to start, like they're going to have basically all their best ball handlers in the, or creators in the starting lineup. So Cole Anthony off the bench becomes super important. What does the 10 man rotation, you know, not saying it has to be pigeonholed to that, or they're only going to window it down to 10. Uh, but what does that look like for the team? Because they're, they have locks like, and I don't know, like, Fultz, Suggs, Wagner, Bancaro, and Wendell Carter Jr. feel like they'll be the starters to me. Am I wrong there? Do you think there's going to be any futzing and fiddling in that area? Could be. I could uh, – and obviously this would be an answer. I could see Cole potentially getting into uh, – starting next to Markel. Uh, I could see it being Jalen. There were there were multiple different combinations. At least with that second guard, you want to say like that, there are multiple combinations I could see uh, at one point. Uh, or at least at some point in the season. But if we're going to talk about like rotation, I think, you know, you like I said, Markel, Jalen, Franz, Paulo, Wendell, Cole. Cole, uh, yeah. I'm assuming like at least one of Gary Harris and Terrence Ross yeah. need to be in there, right? Yeah. I think, well, yeah, this is, this is, it gets kind of tricky because it may, like the rotation in November, late November may not be the same. The bar and health may not be the same start because I don't know, we don't know where Gary's going to be at to start the season. But let's... If they're fully healthy, I guess. Like, yeah. even J.I., like, how does he fit into this equation when he's healthy, too? Yeah, so I'll go... We just named the six. Uh, you, this, the five guys you name as starters, plus Cole. I'm putting in Mobamba as, a, like, a lock seventh, you know, backup big, yeah. who can play next to window, who can play, play next to Paulo. So that's seven. I mean, that's where... It, this, this is where, it, to me, at least it gets trickier. Uh you would imagine Gary and or Terrence will be in there. Um, a guy we haven't mentioned at all. I don't think at all in this podcast, uh, RJ Hampton. He played pretty much every, like every game he was available last season. He played. Um, I don't, he, and because of, because of where this team's at in their rebuild, They've 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 made it clear that they're really trying to develop the young guys. So I could see RJ Hampton and maybe at least early on being higher in the rotation, maybe like being that backup. I don't want to say like backup two essentially, uh, like just full time, just mm-hmm. so they can just see where he's at after you know after summer league and after getting off season just to get there. So at that point, you're at you know in terms of the backups, Cole, RJ, and Mo. Maybe you have one of Jared. Uh, Gary and Terrence, and then you know Chuma and or Ji, depending on where Ji is at. So I guess if depending on where Ji and Gary are at, maybe the back line um, backups are Cole, RJ, Terrence, Chuma, and Mo Bamba. That is, and then Ji and Gary just dependent upon health. And then once you they once they're healthy or once they're like fully good to go. That's where you start getting the crunch. It, to it, me, it feels like based off what you said that it could be when everyone's healthy that maybe it's Terrence Ross and then either Chuma or Mo Bamba that sees their minutes just get squeezed a little bit by having 
uh, Harris and Isaac both healthy. I mean, yeah. RJ Hampton to me would be my pick as someone who might get squeezed out of the rotation by like, we're talking November, to December. That would be my like pick right off the bat. But this roster is really loaded with, you know, I'm not going to say that everyone's an above average player, but it's really loaded with options that you want to to actually see. Yeah. And I think that's the, I think that's the important thing to make clear is that we're not talking about guys who like, we're going to be like, you know, this isn't like going to be like Milwaukee or Boston, like guys who need to like make an impact on winning immediately. Like this is, they're trying to figure out like what the, trying to figure out what these guys are, but also how they fit into with everybody else. So I think because of that, there's probably going to be a greater emphasis at some points of, you know, playing younger guys like RJ and maybe that change. And I think it's also going to be kind of fluid too, depending on obviously like health is going to like, I'm knocked on wood, but like health changes things every, for every NBA, for every team, every season. So that's maybe that will help answer. But if you're saying everybody's healthy, I think it's going to be very fluid. I think they may even open up things to 11 man rotation just so they can get guys, you know, get guys their minutes. And it may be a situation where, you know, Markel, Jalen, Franz, Paulo, Wendell, Cole, RJ, Gary or Terrence, that, that I'm kind of them as a the, as the eighth guy. Gary or Terrence, like it can be. That's kind of what it was toward the end of last season, where it was like one of them are going to play in the game, but they're both not going to be in the rotation. And then Mo Bamba, and then Chuma or Ji, or maybe it can be neither Gary or Terrence, and then you kind of roll from there, and then you just it make it makes things a little easier in that sense. Based off kind of everything we just said, like is there a possibility, especially if they're at least close to fully healthy and they've seen like bigger samples from all of these players that this team should still be viewed as uh, a prospective seller, like not even trying to identify specific players, but that they're going to be flexible and maybe listening on offers on, I think Harris and Ross are going to be the two that are involved in those hypothetical talks the most, but just even like, cause they get a feel for where the makeup of their roster is headed, who fits with who that, Oh, do you start talking about, uh, you know, Hampton clearly shouldn't be untouchable at this point, but you start listening on like Anthony or Okiki or like, if you just see that, okay, Isaac could play, but he's not really a fit for this team anymore. Uh, is that still sort of the route that they're going in? Or is this a team that really much feels like, because it's in such a, uh, I guess talent acquisition mode, but more so talent evaluation mode because of how much talent it has in house that maybe they'll just be content or even actually looking to stand pat and see what they have in this, you know, in, entire group. Yeah, you know, before I think this is before the draft. Uh, I think the draft was on Thursday, and like Monday, it was a Monday availability with Jeff Weltman, uh, the Magic's president of basketball operations. I'm pretty sure this, this was pre-draft. Maybe it was like immediately after the draft, and he even acknowledged that, hey, we there's there's a good chance not all the guys we have are going to be able to get through this process with us because you know they they're going to want minutes, they're going to want time. I mean, he didn't he didn't say this exactly. This is. Uh, I guess my take on it, but like he said, there's a, we need to provide a runway for these young guys mm-hmm. and there's a chance they may not all be able to make it, um, not make it, but they may not all be like, be here, I guess at the end of the, at the end of this process in terms of the rebuild. So I think they, there's an understanding of they've acquired the talent, right? Like they've acquired, they've like, they've got a lot of young, like a lot of young talent. You look at the roster, most of these guys are 25 and under, and a lot of them are guys who, like J.I. and Markel Fultz, like their situations are different because they haven't played a lot of games, but they are some of the older players on the team. 
um, as 2017 draft picks. And then you have Mo, Bamba, and uh, Wendell, 2018. And you go down the line, you just have a lot of guys who've been in the league four or five years and trying to prove themselves. I think you're at a point where you've acquired the talent. Like you said, let's evaluate this talent. Evaluate them individually and evaluate who fits next to who. And you could be at a situation where, you know, you maybe not, you maybe don't need the entire season to evaluate what you do have in some of these young guys. Maybe you just need, you know, 10 games, 15 games, 20 games. And you're looking at the deadline where, like you brought up Terrence and uh, Gary, like those are guys to me. Uh, I wasn't surprised that Gary was resigned. I thought he was, he was going to get more, um, I guess, more guaranteed money on the free agent market. So maybe he's a guy who a, a team that maybe liked him during free agency. They say, all right, we saw like what he did in 2021, 2022. It's legit. We're going to go after. We're going to make priority to go after him because he's a guy who can really help a contender out, especially mm-hmm. at his number of what I think thirteen million dollars this season. And that contract season. felt like it was like built to trade to me when I saw the way it was reported. Yeah, it felt, and especially next year being unguaranteed, the flexibility that you can have with that is just like okay, well, there's that. There's such an easy way for, especially for contender. Like, like I will say, this past last season was kind of tough because it was a twenty million as an expiring, but you take that twenty to thirteen, which yeah. Is, yeah, really above the mid level for at least a non taxpayer. That's much, uh, much easier to to take in. So yeah, I, I could see Gary or Terrence, you know, maybe being guys who are, you know, of interest of, from other teams, and then maybe from there that helps simplify things because then you give your young guys an even greater runway to just show what they have. But this year, to me, if last year was about you know acquiring talent and you know, evaluation of when situations that you did have because of injury kind of sapping some opportunities. This is a full on talent and team evaluation and seeing what guys are at. And some of it's made, you know, some of it may not be the same evaluations because you have third year guys like RJ Cole and Chuma versus mm-hmm. second, not versus in the sense of like they're battling each other, but in the sense of like how the evaluation is different for second year guys of Franz and Jalen. Uh, and then even rookies like Paolo and Caleb, it may be different valuations from player to player, but it's going to be a lot of what, not only who are these guys, but what, like I said, what fits, who fits together and where, where, where can we go from here? You're coach Jamal. Everybody's healthy. I know this is somewhat matchup dependent, but who is your go-to crunch time unit for the magic? Is it just the projected, my projected starting five, or is it, is it something different? My, uh, wow. Go to closing lineup would I'll I'll start big and go uh, small. Uh, Window, Paulo, Franz, everybody's healthy. Uh, Gary. Ooh, okay. Marco. Wow, Suggs getting left out. I mean, I mean, if you're trying to win a game. Right now, based off what we saw from Suggs last season, that probably makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I think, and I was going to mention this earlier. Now that I brought this lineup up, a lineup up now, like I honestly, to me, like if, and I understand why this may not happen from day one, especially now that Gary's hurt. Um, but if if this team was in a different, if we're viewing the team in a different context, that actually just may be one of their better lineups to me, because um, I think it also may it help. It will help make it easier to get maybe like in terms of Markel, Jalen, and Cole, like help help them out in the sense of, all right, 
you guys are going to have a little bit more freedom to play as backups, if that makes sense, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, let's say I forget what's the Cole and Jalen that is. Like, they could have a little bit more freedom as backups in that sense. Um, once, you know, where they're playing, they're, they're leading, basically they're leading the second unit, kind of like they led the first unit last year. And they can play off of each other while having, you know, maybe another starter, whether it's Franz or Wendell in the lab with them with other backups. So that to me was, this is a lab I'm very interested in seeing. I'm not sure how much we're going to see of it, but that Markel, Gary, Franz, Paulo, Wendell, if it was me, I would just be interested in seeing that lineup close games. And yeah, I would be really interested in that. But the funny thing about the Magic is that they just have so many options. Like you could say, hey, take out Gary, put in Suggs, and just have this, um, this just strong, big guards and just this big front line. Or you could say, go point uh, guardless and take out Fultz and maybe roll with that. Just if you yeah. think we need more offensive juice with Suggs and Gary Harris and then the other three. Right, it, it, you can you can really mix and match with the guards. I put in Gary just because he was their most, in terms of the guards, the most reliable combination of shooting and defense. Like you have shot fifty percent on drives last year, I think too, which is just he had just felt, felt like he flew under the radar. Where it was like, oh, Gary Harris is so bad now, and I was like, oh, Gary Harris is good again. Yeah, well, I, that's why I was that's why I was surprised when his number came in at you know two years twenty six million. I was thinking, um, did people not see Gary Harris play last year? Because I saw a dude, I, I thought he was going to get much more than that in, in terms of both the money and the years. Like I thought he could have been a guy who got even maybe if it was not, thirteen million a year seems right, but like the fact at how low the guarantee was overall, and then even the contract length, if if it was a player option or something. And it was like, oh, he wants to get back in the market sooner because the cap is going up. But it wasn't even that situation. And so that I was I was fairly surprised by that outcome as well. Yeah, like I think there were I mean, maybe it's also just part of the magic, just you know, kind of flying on the radar, you know, because you know, maybe Jalen, you know, people didn't see what they want to see from Jalen early on. You can tune them out in that sense. And then, you know, after Cole got hurt um earlier on, like he started dealing with the ankle injuries early on. You know, it became less, I guess, in that sense, from a national perspective to like have to want to tune in every single night. But there are a lot of things that flew under the radar. You know, Franz, to me, his rookie campaign kind of flew under the radar. Um, and just what he showed. Gary, just the the bounce, like it was a bounce back season. It, it was his most efficient scoring season and the, his healthiest season in like four years or something like it was. Since he That's was prepared to like Kawhi Leonard 2.0 at one point, people were wondering. Fast forward half decade and yeah, this <laughs> season with the Magic. Yeah, I was just like, man, but like this dude just showed up. Like it was, it was really like because he he did like Gary. That is like he his October November is kind of up and down. Like he was getting himself back into the rhythm, but once December took off from like December until the All-Star break, maybe like March, and then like that's when the rotation changes start to happen. Start to play more young guys. Uh, but from that December to like early to mid March, just like Gary was like, I, I was, I, I know it's good, this is crazy, talk, uh, but I was just like, this dude's gonna get like, I'm not gonna say like paid, paid, but he's gonna get like a decent contract, and he did, but I just thought it was gonna be more. Uh, there was so little like cap space on the market, so unless he was just gonna take the non taxpayers mid level, he ended up getting more than that on a per year basis, like that might have been sort of a force at play. There, yeah, too. even then you could have done like a sign and trade or something. Yeah, that's something true. Mean. But then you, then you have to worry about the hard cap. Yeah. And then maybe teams weren't trying to do that, you know, at this point. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Gary could definitely be, like I said, depending on where the season goes and what happens, like, I think Gary could definitely be a guy who just, he'll make life 
he he'll do the simple things just make life easier for like all the quote-unquote playmakers and decision makers he'll make their life easier just by opening up a runway for them on the floor what is and i think you already mentioned this but to rehash it what is a, a weirdo quirky unconventional lineup you're hoping to see this team try at some point over the season oh we're gonna get super weird right now all right bet let's go uh did i say this already earlier bull bull franz wagner paulo bancaro wendell oh shoot and ji ji or mo bamba depending on how you're feeling or you know what yeah yeah i'm, I'm gonna go there just anything with bull bull in the lineup is gonna get like people's like oh my gosh i think look I pride myself on normally having the weirdest answer among this two-person podcast when we're doing the look ahead. And I'm pretty sure yours is just weirder than mine. I want to see, it's point guardless. Like, I want to see Ben Caro, Jonathan Isaac, Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter Jr. is just sort of like that supersized quartet. And then, like, can we get weird and, like, then just Chumo Kiki's rounding that out? Like, you're still super big and you have Paolo and, and Franz and you're trusting them and Wendell Carter Jr. to generate the offense if not you could throw slugs in there instead of okiki but like you're you have so many big guys who can do stuff with like bigger guys like as you've said before like combo forwards or flat out center in uh wendell carter jr look hell throw mo Bamba into that quartet like i'll i'll watch it i'll watch it i fave that lineup that's what i'm saying and i think what's really interesting about is it's really the line of construction and i'm really thinking about franz paulo window like i said earlier even chuma and may like I, it's been so long since we've seen Bobo consistently on the floor, but I even throw him in there. The playmaking ability is just like is different from what you would normally see from guys in those like in that quote unquote three, four, tweener, maybe five in some situation, like small situations, because you don't always see that passing ability in like in those guys. You think of like just kind of more like three and D, but they're almost like defense plus passing, and then you just want to see the shooting. And obviously their skill sets are like all different. You do, it's like it's more so based off shooting, not so much playmaking. And I think that's it, it's, it's that's fascinating to me personally because it's like oh you for don't, sure you don't see that as much uh, really around like yeah. And I think there are a lot of guys on this team where if they're uh, they could just help out like playoff contenders just because they have the competency of playmaking. Like they're not pigeonholed to. If you if your threes aren't falling, you're not contributing. Like they can still contribute defensively, and if they can just knock down enough threes and they can force a closeout, that's when you start getting. I'm my mind's about to get, get like blown right now. That's when it starts getting really weird and funky. So at this recording, the magic over under for the season is set at twenty seven point five. Right now, are you taking the over or the under on that? I, I would take the over. Oh yeah, I take it. I think at one point it was twenty five point five, so it must have gone up. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Or twenty six point five, one of the two. But yeah, I also take the over on twenty seven point five. Um, th- you know, looking at the schedule, and this is why I think helps very obviously it matters. But I'm just really curious to see how this team starts. They have a pretty, you know, the first however many games are pretty tough, mm-hmm. and then they get to this. I think it's. I'm trying to look at it right now. Uh, in real time, they have I think it's like this mid November to mid December. Yeah, it's this or late November to late December stretch where they play like basically every team they're going to play was a team that was either in the plane or in the playoffs last year. 
that's going to be the stretch where you we really learn. All right, is this team a like can be surprise team in the you know in the playing picture potentially because of the talent they already have. You know, I think sometimes when people when um, think about the Magic, like oh yeah, Paolo's there now, but I think sometimes we, people forget. Oh yeah, like they already have so much young talent already there. Like this team could be a surprise team, but that stretch from late November through late December, I think of like fourteen games is going to be the eye-opening stretch to me of the season. Because if they can even go, you know, I might even say 500, but if they can go, if it's a 14 games, that may be off by a game or so. If they can go like five and five and nine or six and eight, that just staying around close to 500, just barely, that's just like, all right, you guys, if you guys can stick around with these teams, then you guys can definitely make noise in the East, but especially at least from the playing perspective. But if they're not, even they're not healthy or if they're just struggling and hobbling through that stretch, then that could be a stretch where it's just like you set they're so, they are set so far back um, that it's just hard, difficult to recover from. But I, I still also, think even with that, they can get over, they can get to around 30 wins, 30 ish wins, maybe. I'm inclined to go with the over as well, but it's also like they had 22 this past year. So getting to 28 would be six more. Victories are just going to be hard to come by in the East. And I don't think there's a team that we can confidently point at in the East and say, they're going to be worse than the magic this season. Maybe Indiana, if they really lean into it and get rid of miles Turner, that'd be the team I'm most confident in. I don't know about Detroit. It's certainly in the conversation. Now they've blown by Donovich and just the idea of Cade Cunningham with more shooting. Uh, and there will always be teams that implode. And I would, I think the wizards, the Knicks and the Hornets are all good candidates to just absolutely go belly up this year. But that's kind of the predicament that Orlando is in, is that I don't think you definitely I you'd be hard pressed to convince me that there are definitely going to be two teams there. I look, if you told me Magic finished 10th, I wouldn't be shocked just looking at like the depth and the upside of this roster. But it's hard for me to pinpoint and say these are the two teams that I know they're going to be better than next season. I'd be willing to bet they're better than the Pacers, who are very much seem trying to be bad by design. And I might be willing to include the Pistons in there, but. I love Cade and like they just got, unless they're planning on rerouting Bojan Bogdanovich at some point, uh, like those are really, and, and then after that, it's just, you would have to be banking on things going wrong, like massively wrong everywhere else. Yeah. Or and that's, I think that's more so, I think that speaks less about the magic, more so about the quality of the East. Oh yeah. It's just not a magic thing. The East is just like yeah. deadly right now. Yeah. So even like a team, like, you know, you kind of go down the list. I'm, I'm looking at the Saints right now. So like, obviously you have your Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Toronto, Chicago, Brooklyn, Atlanta. The Cavs Those, this year. My God. Oh yeah, Cavs. Uh, I'm at nine teams. So, like, basically that, like, I, if any of those teams finish below the match, I would be shocked. Like, I'm, it's like, completely shocked. So, then you get, like you said, the Charlotte, Knicks, Wizards. Like, Pacers, I would say the Magic are likely going to be better than the Pacers. Even the Pistons... Those are the two teams that come closest to saying, okay, the Magic are going to be better than them. Like, yeah. that's the closest I come. After that, it's, I, you, it wouldn't shock me if the Knicks and Hornets are both worse than the Magic because I think those teams are just, they're implosive. They're just, they're implosive. Uh, but they're all teams that are definitely on a more immediate timeline than the Magic, too. And so are, are they part of the calculus of all this? Are if the Knicks and the Hornets are more invested in getting wins, like the Magic might just be more invested in trying to, throwing stuff on the floor, seeing who works, seeing how healthy Jonathan Isaac is, if he is able to play, seeing what different combinations pan out. So that could sort of 
hold back or pull back their win total a, a little bit. But it's 27, 28 wins for this team feels low. The Eastern Conference is just so all over the place right now, especially like the middle of it, uh, that it's tough to to know if they'll just be victims of what is a, a very deep conference, not a flaw of their team, which I think for where they're supposed to be at uh, and in experimental in rebuilding mode, it's super. You you try and project like a few years ahead. They have to have one of the most promising rebuilding rosters in the league. Just in the here and now, they're so tough to project for me personally anyway. I agree because I think, I mean, we're talking, I think what we're talking about without, I guess, maybe saying as directly, I guess you said a little bit more directly than I did is that really the magic in the East are one of three teams who aren't quote unquote going, going for it, whatever yeah. it is for that specific team. Like we talk about like Charlotte just fire uh, Borrega and replace him with Clifford because I guess they were trying to replace him with Atkinson. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. They were trying to play with Atkinson and they replaced him with Clifford. Well, yeah. I almost forgot about that. But yeah, so, but you could, but that shows them that they're, they're going for it. They made the play in twice and they weren't just happy making the play and they were trying to do something more. You know, New York just went out and got Jalen Brunson. They were flirting with Donovan Mitchell or acquiring Donovan Mitchell because they're trying to go for it uh, with Tibbs, uh, Tibbs coaching. Like the Wizards, you don't give Bradley Bill that money if you're not going for it in, in some semblance, whatever, like I said, whatever it is for that team. Like some, it feels like the Magic Pacers and Detroit, like they have their own little tier of just simple, just because they're teams whose timeline isn't. We got to get this now. Like they can at least be a little bit more patient and some, maybe that patience where we talk about maybe being a little bit more experimental in that regard could bring the win total down, not because of talent, not because of a reflection of the individuals. It's more so like they're getting different things thrown at them throughout the season and the evaluations are happening through the experiments uh, or just, I mean, I don't say experiment, but it's just trying different things while these other teams are like, 100% at all times because if we, I mean, think of, I mean, just think about it. what if the Knicks don't make the play in this year? I, first, I, 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 I probably wouldn't have them in the play in, to be honest. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh, yeah. So, so just there's a diff, there's, they are different pressure. And maybe the Magic will be a team next year where they face those kind of pressures. But I don't, at least right now, I don't see them facing those kind of pressures. Definitely not externally. And at least I don't even think internally. That's the, there seems to be a very patient approach, and because of that, I could see them going. I, I can see them going a little over, but yeah, I, I you asked me to name two teams who are going to be better. I could just name Pacers, then they're going to be better. I could just name the Pacers, and they're in a similar boat as Detroit. Um, really, Detroit is totally. I would have probably said Detroit if they didn't just go ahead and trade for a forward who's a perfect fit for their roster and Boyer Bogdanovich like a few hours before we recorded this. I don't know if they're planning on keeping them, but. Uh, you, you framed it best that there are three teams in the East that I don't think are concerned with the here and now, and it's Orlando, Indiana, and uh, Detroit. Is there any one or anything about this team that I didn't ask you uh, to discuss that you think needs to be, uh, you know, tackled before before I let you go? No, I think you pretty much hit everything. Uh, we pretty much hit everything. I think the one thing about this team that sometimes maybe misses that I mentioned it um, earlier in terms of their post all-star break, but even their season long defensively that that's defense is where this team is. That's where they're going to hang their head on. Like they really showed a level of competence and just understanding of that side of the ball. And I just, I think that if they can get the guys healthy, like if you look at their starting line from last year, where it was Cole, Jalen Franz, Wendell and Mobamba, 
they just showed that they could defend at a, high, a very solid level within that lineup. And that, you know, for a team that performed as poorly as they did winning 22 games, that lineup's net rating was barely under zero. It wasn't really a bad lineup, but you really, when you have a team that wins 22 games, you think it's going to be a lot of just, like their top line is going to be like super bad. It was actually the opposite. Their top lineup was like kind yeah, of average, decent, yeah. which for, and they played a lot of minutes. So it was like all the other constructions, all the other lineups that weren't, uh, that weren't working out. So I think that's the one thing. Just remember that this team defensively, I think they have it figured out and it's going to be more so about, I guess, putting those pieces to like figuring out one, definitely figuring out the offense, but two now just trying to figure out how does everybody fit together? Yeah, they were 10th in points allowed per possession after the trade deadline. And their ethos was just like, we're going to dominate the defensive class. We're not going to foul. Uh, and it, it worked out for them. So, yeah, I think they're definitely a team to watch defensively. Uh, Kobe, I said before we started that if we did 90 minutes on the Magic, something went incredibly right or absurdly wrong. We did about 85 minutes on the Magic. I'm just going to go ahead and say that something went absurdly right. This was great. Thank you so much for your time. Are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you're putting out? Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you guys can find me. Uh, follow me on Twitter, uh, K-H-O-B-I underscore Price, P-R-I-C-E. Uh, subscribe to the Atlanta Sentinel. We're going to have media days kicking off, training camp kicking off pretty much, uh, pretty soon. So that's where you can follow my work. We'll all be reporting on and covering all the ins and outs of the team and whatever quirkiness in terms of lineups that they may or may not put out that people may get a little excited about. I'm going to need like a Twitter tag if they roll out the lineup that you're talking about, where it's just like all bigs, including Bobo. I'm going to need to, so that I can, if I'm not watching, I need to be able to watch immediately. So, so what I say it was Bobo, Franz, Paulo, Wendell, and like one, either JR or Obama. Okay. Yeah. If yeah. that, I need to, if I'm not, I'm, I'm going to need to learn uh, if, if that lineup is going to Thank you so much again for being so generous with your time. I hope you let me catch you again in the future, and I will, I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for this.